John chapter 12, number 125. Can you believe it? 125 sermons in John, and we're not even halfway through. John chapter 12, we'll be looking at verse 46. I want to read that verse. I have come, I'll read the New King James, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. This obviously comes in a context, if you have read John 12 or been here for the sermons, you know that, it's a context. Every verse, by the way, comes in a certain context. If you have a red letter Bible, you see that verses uh, 47 through 50 are all read, and if you go up, verse 44 and 45 are read. So this is a discourse of our Lord. I believe he gave it right after this uh, assessment by John was given. Notice in verses 42 and 43, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, In one sense, what Jesus cried out and said in verses 44 to the end uh, is kind of like a distillation of things that Jesus has already said at various times. In fact, some of the things that Jesus says in here are picked up later in the New Testament by the apostles in their writings, especially the concept of light. If you have read the New Testament, you know that light is picked up after the Gospels, uh, both in the book of Acts and the epistles themselves. That will become important to us when we consider verse 46. So right after this cowardly belief, in quotes, of some of the rulers, Jesus cries out and says these things. If we read the whole passage, we would see some very mysterious things Uh, As a matter of fact, let's read verses 44 through 50. He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. I think I said a couple weeks ago, huh? He who believes in me believes not in me. That sounds like a contradiction. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Those two are related. Basically, If you believe in the Son properly, you believe in the Father because the Son is the Son of the Father. In other words, if you have a saving faith, you believe in what Christians have called the doctrine of the Trinity. If you see me, you see him who sent me. Him who sent me is identified later as the Father. If you perceive who I really am, you know that I have a father and that I am, in the language of John 1, eternally begotten of him. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness, which seems to assume everyone's already abiding in darkness, living in darkness, 
and that he came to free us from life in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, at least not yet. For I did not come, his first coming, to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So verses 44 to 50 come right after this assessment by the Apostle John of many of the rulers of that day. These rulers were uh, cowards, basically. They believed something right about our Lord's identity, but lacking true belief in him, they refused to confess him as Messiah and Savior. And the reason why they did that was twofold. External pressure, the Pharisees, they would excommunicate him from church, basically, but also an internal pressure. They loved the praises of men rather than the praises of God. So our Lord's words in verses 44 to 50 address such mangled, half-baked, cowardly historical faith, which is actually deadly to the soul. Now, last time we looked at John 12, 44 and 45. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me, and he who sees me sees him who sent me. Today we're going to look at verse 46. But I have to remind you of something about verses 44 and 45 because it helps understand what Jesus means when he says, I have come as, actually it's literally, I have come light into the world. Now, for English translations, we have to say as. Some of the translations say as a light. Other translations drop the A, which I prefer. Uh, I have come as light into the world, which is itself uh, kind of hard to understand at first read. But if we connect it with what he says here in verses 44 and 45, it might help us. I hope it does. You remember that there's a simple statement in verse 44, he who believes in me. It seems clear enough. I think what he means here, he who really and truly and savingly believes in me because these Rulers were said to have believed in him, but not savingly. So this is true saving faith unto the salvation of one's soul. Believing in the Lord's identity, who he is, and the Lord's work, what he did. Why he came and what he did while he was here. Assenting to these truths, knowing them first, hearing about them, assenting to their truthfulness, and then entrusting oneself to Christ for everything needed for forgiveness of sins, righteousness before God, and eternal life. That's what he means by that simple statement. But then we have this, I called it a mystifying result, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. 
So he who believes in me doesn't believe in me. That's what it sounds like, right? Like, Jesus, you need to go take some logic classes. This is a, this is a, this is a contradiction. It's a tough verse. But if you take it this way, true saving belief in the Jesus of the Bible involves more than stopping at him. Okay? I think it's best to read it something like this. Believes not in me, that is, believes not in me alone, or believes not in me as a mere man, or believes not in me only according to my human nature alone. In other words, true faith in Jesus involves believing in the one who sent him, who is the Father. Excuse me. You can't believe in Jesus savingly without believing that he is in relation to the Father, I would add, eternally. That's why one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, without which you don't have Christianity, is what we call the Trinity and the Incarnation. Remember, Jesus says this in John 8, 19. Um, Well, John 8, 19 says this. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Okay, so that's John 8. So whatever he means in John 12, he basically already said it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you believe in me, you're going to believe not just in me, full stop, but you're going to believe I am in relation to the Father. If you had known me, you had known the Father. Uh, one of the, Andrew is going to ask in John 14, show us the Father. And he kind of chides him and says, you've been with me so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So this is in John 8, very similar to John 12. Know the Son, and you know the Father. Know the Father, and you will know the Son. Believe in me, and you will believe in the Father. Believe in the Father, and you will believe in me. And then verse 45 basically does the same thing. And he who sees me, sees me, sees him who sent me. I think this means he who perceives, he who understands who I really am, understands that I am the son of the father. So this relational language is already there in the passage. And now we come to verse 46. I have come, I'll just read the New King James, as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. So I have three considerations. First of all, consider the first three words. I have come. Now in verse 44, Jesus identified himself as one who was sent. We just read those verses, 44 and 45. Here he describes himself slightly different. Not I was sent but I have come. Now that's interesting. The one who was sent by the Father can also claim, I have come. The Father 
sending the Son can be viewed as the Son coming. The Father sends, the Son says, I have come. Now, this can be viewed as two sides of the same coin, but the distinction, I think, is at least interesting. I think it suggests that what he was sent as and what he came as is one and the same thing. In other words, whatever he came as, he already was. I have come as light into the world. So did he like, and the word became flesh. Did he assume light at the incarnation, whatever light means? Or did he already possess, or even better, was he already light, I'll say capital L, using John 1, 1 John 1, 5 to help, God is light. Was he already light or did he assume whatever this light means upon the incarnation? I'm going to say, the Father sent him as light, the Son came as light. So light predates incarnation. Light predates what John 1.14 tells us about. Here's a question. Is this another way of saying, and the word became flesh? My answer is no. And hopefully, in my second consideration, you'll see why. So consider second, not not only the first three words, I have come, but what he has come as. Again, the New King James says, as a light into the world, if you have the New American Standard 1995 version, it says, I have come as light, not as a light, but light, and then notice they capitalized L. That is interesting. It's actually literally, we could say it, put it this way. I have come light into the world. Now, why did the New American Standard 95 capitalize light? It's a good question. Um, It's interpretive, by the way. So all translations end up in trying to interpret to varying degrees. I think the reason is probably found in 1 John chapter 1. So I want you to turn there. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Excuse me, excuse me, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. We're going to get to 1 John later. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. By the way, sent from God. Do you think that the author means, oh, the same way Jesus was sent, John was sent? You know, Somebody nodded their head, no. No, there's different kinds of sending. This man, this is John the Baptist, came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Now, in New King James, it's capitalized here. That all through him 
might believe. He was not that light, capitalized, but was sent to bear witness of that light, capitalized. That was the true light, capitalized, which gives light, lowercase, to every man coming into the world. Now watch what happens at verse 10. He, this light, capital L, is actually a person. He was in the world, now watch this one, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So the true light is called he and him. It obviously refers to our Lord. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. That is a weird statement, right? How can that be? If he made the world, he must not have been in the world when he made it. Right? How could he be in the world and then make the world? He has to predate the world in order to make the world. You can read the first part of John, John chapter 1 that explains all that to us. Now, does it sound to you that our Lord became light or just is whatever light signifies? To me, it seems like the isness view is better. We know he became flesh from John 1.14, but did he become light in the sense of John 12.46? I don't think so. It's one thing to bear witness to the light and quite another to come as light, right? Here's John the Baptist. By the way, John the Baptist, Jesus calls him a lamp shining. Lamps first had to be made and then they have to have fuel and they have to be lit. He was a witness, but our Lord actually is light and in one sense, became light, lowercase. That is, the torchbearer of revelation par excellence. So I, I love um, fourth and fifth century North African theologians. May the Lord raise up more. Here's one, Augustine. We listen to Augustine quite often. He says this. He said, that is our Lord, in a certain place, Matthew 5, to his disciples, ye are the light of the world. Remember that? But he did not say to them, ye are come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on you should not abide in darkness. Right? So there's a difference with us being light and him being light. Similarly, somebody else says this. None of the apostles could truly say, I have come as light into the world. You want to say that of yourself? Don't. Because when they, the apostles, came into the world, they were still darkness and not light. For in Job it says we are wrapped in darkness. The apostle Paul, speaking to believers in Christ, says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light, lowercase, 
in the Lord walk as children of light. So us being light, prophets, apostles, regular Christians, and the Lord being light isn't one and the same thing. We need to distinguish here. John the Baptist was identified by our Lord as a burning and shining lamp. Here's what he says. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. That's John 5.35. Lamps, as I said before, have to first be made and lit. John was made, then lit. Jesus did not say, I have come to become light or to receive light or to be lit. But he did say this, I have come light or as light. So since nobody's following me, let's go back to Augustine. Maybe he'll help. Augustine says this, we believe then the the light that has been lit as the prophet or apostle or John the Baptist. The light that has been lit here is prophets, apostles, John the Baptist, for example. But we believe him for this end. We believe those who have been lit for this end that we may not believe on that which is itself enlightened, that which was lit, But with him, with prophets, apostles, and John the Baptist, on that light, it's capitalized, which has given him light, so that we too may be enlightened, not by him, but along with him, by the same light, capitalized, as he. I wish you had a copy of that so you could read along with me. You see what he's doing? They lit us, well, God lit us through their illumination, God illumined us through what they said, prophets and apostles and John the Baptist. But we, like them, have ultimately been lit by the lighter himself, the light. If you turn over to 1 John, and you don't have to do that. If you want to, you can listen to this. I think this is, in one sense, this is the apostle John saying, oh, by the way, This is the right understanding of what I wrote in John chapter 12, verse 46. This is the message which we have heard from him, that is, from our Lord, and declare to you that God is light. The apostle here claims that our Lord taught them this, What? That God is light. Where did he teach them this? Here's one place, John 12, 46. I have come as light. It is one thing to say God manifests light or God manifests love, both of which are true, But it is quite another thing to say that God is light, 1 John 1, 5, or God is love, 1 John 4, 8. Whatever love is, 
and whatever light is, it is of the isness of God. They're not things outside of God that he assumes or possesses. It's just, it just what God is. What is God? Love. What is God? Light. What do those things mean? Well, we can figure that out later. Okay, if Augustine confused you, maybe John Gill in the 18th century will help. Listen to him on 1 John 1.5. They, the apostles, might hear and learn this of Christ by his telling them that he himself was light. Ha! Thank you, John Gill. I love it when I take my friends off the shelf and they're right. It's kind of a joke. Did you see what he just said, though? The apostles heard from Christ his claim that he himself was light, who is the image of the invisible God, insomuch that he that has seen the Son has seen the Father also. You see what John Gill's doing with 1 John 1, 5? He's going, oh, I've already read John 12. Wherefore, if the one is light, the other must be likewise, nor is there any coming to the Father and enjoying communion with him, but through Christ, all which our Lord told his disciples. He's commenting on 1 John 1.5 over here, and he's saying Jesus taught them that he was this God who is light. And he's very clearly referring back to John 12. When Jesus says, I have come as light, his claim is that he is God who is light. And if God in 1 John 1.5 refers to the Father, I think it does, then both Father and Son are the one God who is light. That's Jesus' claim right there. Let's go forward from the 18th century to the 19th. Here's J.C. Ryle. Let us note that the form of language used here seems to teach that our Lord existed before he entered the world. He didn't become whatever light signifies here. He just is what that light signifies. The saints are the light of the world, but they do not come as light into the world. That's why a lot of us like to read J.C. Ryle. This could only be said of Christ, who was light before his incarnation. I am come as light into the world. You're, the first reading of that, you might say, well, yeah, he comes and he enlightens other people, which is true, and, the, and Scripture teaches that, but it's, it's actually way weirder than that. It's really deep and Trinitarian and very Christian. Third consideration is this. Consider third. The purpose for which our Lord came into the world as light. And that's signified by that word that. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Whatever that means, it sounds good. 
But there's actually bad news there, right? That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness, it seems like. So people who don't believe are already abiding in darkness? That's exactly what it means, right? This verse declares the end or the goal for which our Lord came as light into the world. And notice carefully what it assumes. That men are already in darkness. So just like J.C. Ryle said, none of the disciples who are now called the light of the world can say, well, I came into the world as light. No, we came into the world as darkness. We were made light in the Lord. And this darkness that he's referring to here is, is the darkness of sin into which we are all born. It is the darkness of Sin, which brings, which, by the way, is the transgression of the law of God, is the not doing what he requires or the doing of what he forbids, which we're all guilty of. Sin brings guilt, which means the just liability to be punished This darkness includes spiritual blindness. We are ignorant of the depths of our own hearts and sins. And we are also ignorant of our only way of relief from the hard way of transgressors. It's the new King, it's the King James, I think, in the Proverbs. The way of the transgressor is hard. This darkness includes the darkness of pride, the darkness of bondage to ourselves, the darkness of not being thankful. That's in first in Romans chapter one. The darkness of the way the world would have us go. Ourselves, the world, what's the next one of that triad? the devil, and the darkness of the devilish deeds of the prince of darkness himself. So we could ask the question, why did Jesus Christ come into the world as light? Well, I think we could get the answer from the Bible itself. So how about I quote the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 Anyone and everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ of God and the Son of God, the only Savior of sinners, the Christ of God means the Anointed One, according to his human nature, the Son of God is more mysterious, the one in relation to another person identified as God the Father in Scripture, anyone and everyone who believes that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior of sinners, will certainly and emphatically and really and graciously not abide in darkness. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? You say, well, I still sin. 
believe me, I get it. But these who believe that he has come as light, God become man, they will be delivered from the power or dominion of darkness and they will be conveyed, transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's, the, that's what Jesus is saying. Believe that I am God who is light, God the Son, who was sent by the Father, who can also say, but I came. I came as God the Son, assuming human nature for us and for our salvation, borrowing the language of the Nicene Creed. So I've wrestled with this verse probably most of my life, and I took time, two weeks off, to read all the commentaries at least twice and try to get the sum and substance of what this says and means. So that is my exposition of it. Now I have contemplations. I have three contemplations. I think we'll consider one now and then two after the break. So first of all, consider, contemplate along with me. Think a little more deeply about the astounding claim of our Lord made in John 12, 46. I am come, or I have come as light into the world. So I'm going to use another African friend of mine who I really want to meet someday, Cyril of Alexandria, Egypt, way back in the 5th century, 4th and 5th century. Maybe he'll help us. He says, by confessing himself to be light, he shows that he is God by nature, since such a title is appropriate only for one who is God by nature. One of the reasons why I like Cyril is because he doesn't have like 9,000 words of explanation. He just gets to the heart of it. He says, he's confessing himself to be light. Therefore, he is God by nature. Now, that doesn't mean he hasn't assumed a human nature because mystery upon mystery, he is speaking these red letters in John 12, 46 by virtue of the assumption of his flesh using his tongue and his teeth and his lungs and his vocal cords He's speaking about his divine nature, but according to his human nature, he's speaking, which is, for us, it's strange. Remember, it would be strange indeed if God were not strange to us. It would be strange indeed if the incarnation were not strange to us. Cyril says what he says, by the way, in part, due to John 1.5, God is light. But what does that mean? So that's, that's the contemplation. What does this mean, God is light? Because Jesus is claiming that he is the God who is light. So I'm going to read somebody else. John Gill, because I couldn't improve upon what he said. When I read this in Gill on 1 John 1, 5, you might want to read it. You can get it on your, don't do it now, but you can get it on your phone. So you can look up John Gill, 1 John 1, 5. It'll show up on your phone. When I read this, I thought, okay, I'm just going to preach this. 
I'll act like I said some of the words. No, I won't do that. But. So I'm just going to quote him. Here he is. He is pu- what does it mean that God is light? Because whatever it means, that's what Jesus is claiming according to his divine nature. He is that God who is light. He is pure and holy in his nature. And so perfectly holy that angels, sinless angels, cover their faces before him when they speak of his holiness, Isaiah 6. And as light is opposed to the darkness of ignorance, he is wise and knowing. He knows himself, his own nature, what he is, being that he is, and perfections, how great he is. You know, we can apprehend, get our hands around, almost, the glasses there, some things about God, but we can't fully engulf everything there is to know. Only God knows God exhaustively. We know him bit by bit, piece by piece, but God knows himself, his own nature, what he is, his own being, that he is, and perfections, how great he is. He knows his son and spirit and, for the theological amongst us, and their distinct modes of subsisting, you don't know what that means, that's fine. In him, it, well, it's not fine. You do know what it means, but just not in that language. In him is no ignorance of anything whatever, nor is there any variableness of shadow of turning in him. That is, there's no, that's James 1, there is no change in God, given creation or not. He just is what he is, is there as, as there is in the luminous body of the sun. There's no change as there is in creatures. But God is always the same, pure and holy, wise and knowing being. In 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul says this, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. What is this unapproachable light? Due to our created finitude, our limits, and certainly our fallenness, there's no way for us to endure the full manifestation of the divine light and know what it is in its fullness. We just will never get our hands around God and say, you know what, I exhausted you as a subject of my contemplation in the eternal state, I'm going to go meditate on a creature now. This light is unapproachable. That's why we say that God is incomprehensible 
in his essence. Only God knows God fully, perfectly. Now think on this. He who came as unapproachable light, veiled in flesh, came into the darkness that we sinners might believe the light, capital L, be light ourselves, and then enjoy the God who is light forever. I think that's one of the things that John 12, 46 should move us to contemplate. Okay, this light, God is light, became flesh in the midst of darkness and suffered in order to bring us to light himself. We have, us, we have this descent and then we have this he ascends, but then who else ascends into a higher state of being and communion with God than we could ever imagine on this earth? We, believers in Christ, also are going to ascend, in one sense, to this heavenly, eternal state where there's no sadness and no sorrow and no sin and no cancer and no strokes and no doctor's appointments and no court dates, and no any of the things that we know now, well, some of the things we know now will be in the eternal state, but none of the sorrows. It just should be amaze us to consider the claim of our Lord in John 12, 46. Why did the Lord Jesus come to the earth to save sinners? And you know, as a believing sinner, the only way you could go from darkness to light is somebody had to light you up, right? You had to be lit. And who is who, who lights sinners? God does through Christ, his work and person and work, by, by the Spirit. So the Father, by virtue of the Son's work in the Spirit, enlightens us. There is the Trinity, you know, right there as well. And, and we should be very grateful and thankful. So if you have not, I encourage you to believe in the light. Believe in the incarnate Son of God who came that you might be delivered from darkness. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you even for these hard verses that we have to really dig into and compare scripture with scripture to understand correctly. But we are very grateful, never grateful enough, but grateful for the knowledge that the Son of God, who is Son of the Father before the world began, assumed human nature, body and soul, in order that he might suffer in it, obey by virtue of it, die, conquer death for us, be raised, ascended to heaven, ascend to heaven, rule, and then come again 
to consummate the ages and usher us into that new heavens and new earth in its fullness. Help us to muse upon these things and to be driven to uh, be more humble, more thankful, more uh, grateful, and more bold to those who do not believe that we might speak these things to unbelievers so that they too would be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Bless your word and help us now to sing gratefully and thankfully, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.